So we're going to pick up right where we left off on our Ephesians text last week on Ephesians chapter 4. And if you remember, last week we, uh, we were told that we are the body of Christ and that we are encouraged to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling that we have received in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I love going for a walk. Where are my walkers? Not my power Olympic walkers. I'm talking about my strollers walkers. Yes, that's the kind of walk I like. I like the pace of that walk. I like the uh, should we go left or right or keep going straight conversation that you have at the end of the block on a walk like that. I like looking for cats on walks. I like seeing people's front yards. Sometimes they have uh, interesting signs. One time I saw a, a statue of a deer, a statue of a squirrel. I see lots of bushes, lots of trees, flowers. I like going for a jog too, but not enough to actually do it. I have done it before, and if I'm being honest, it doesn't take much for me to not go for a jog. If it's too hot, guess what? I'm not going to go for a jog. If I slept in the wrong possession, a position a few days ago, that is going to keep me from not going on a jog. Have you, walkers, please participate with me, ever started a jog and then stopped a block in, just one block in? Anybody? I've at least gone two blocks. I would never have to stop after just one. But I did search. Is it okay to just jog a couple blocks because I don't feel like jogging and will that still keep me healthy? I did not get an answer, but I did see that one of the most common excuses for not continuing the jog once you've started was shoelaces not tied with the same force. You, sir, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? How difficult that is to get the same balance. Ah, it's infuriating. But anyways, I tell you that because it is super easy to always find some excuse not to jog, and I hope you find one today. Now, our Ephesians text, though, is all about moving past the excuses and moving into maturity, changing our attitude and our self by putting on the new self we were created to be in Christ Jesus. So if you got your Bibles out, Ephesians 4 is what we're looking at today. We're going to finish the chapter. We're going to start at verse 17. Now the words will be on the screen as we go through them, as they always are. But as always, it's much better to have your own Bible out, marking it up so that you can refer back to it later. But let's go ahead and just dive into our text today. Paul writes, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now, if you'll recall the verses prior that we looked at last week to this section talked about being tossed to and fro by the waves or, or really the ways of the world. That scripture we looked at last week concluded with the call to maturity, call for us to be mature in our walk, mature in our thinking, and mature in our speaking. And that maturity is why Paul here is insisting in the Lord that we are to live, or the metaphor he's using, right, to walk in a different way than the world around us. Now, I don't know about you, but I find myself tempted more to show people that as a Christian, I'm not all that different from them that it's cool, we're the same, you and I. People who follow Jesus, we're, we're normal. I show them I'm hip and with it, ducka, 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 Macarena, a la Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. You were there. Now, I don't know whether that comes from trying to get them to, to like me, to not think that I'm weird or crazy, or so that they will respect me or approve me, take me seriously, want to keep me around. But I know that that's not the right thing to do. 
And I thought it would only affect me when I was younger, but I, that I would grow out of it. But maturity is never about age. That's just a number. Maturity comes with understanding and focusing the mind. See, Paul pushes, pushes us to ask ourselves this question, what is more important? to be accepted and compromise who we are, who we have been called to be? Or is it more important to walk in a manner worthy of who we are in Christ? Most of the time, it wasn't others trying to change me or to get me to do something I knew I shouldn't. It was me wanting to fit in. It was me willing to compromise because I thought, what does it matter? I can be one way here and another on Sunday. But Christ has come to turn us around and to put us in a different direction when we walk. Christians are supposed to be different. But different in a way that doesn't mean we wear like bells on our shoes. Different in that our lives, our, our presence, everything is different when we come into the room. We're to be full of life, full of joy, this refreshing presence called to love people first, not to be accepted first but to be the ones who are accepting others. That doesn't mean that we approve of their lifestyle or let them know that it's okay, man, you do you. But it also doesn't mean going around condemning everyone when they're wrong. But being able to speak the truth in love when we need to. I like the story of Zacchaeus. I don't know if you do, but when Jesus saw him up in that sycamore tree, he didn't cut him down from the tree and say, you're a sinner and it's over for you now. He said, I'm coming to you and we're going to eat together. Now, we don't get to hear what Jesus said to Zacchaeus while they ate and while everyone was around. We don't even know if Jesus said anything at all. All we know was Zacchaeus was changed by the presence of Jesus. Can your presence change others? Does your presence change those around you? Because I think with the grace given to us, filled by the Spirit, when we are light, when we are called to be, our presence can bring change, needs to bring change. Because we are called to partner with our Lord in His work of restoring the broken, of helping gently lead the sinner to repentance and being patient with the one who is not yet ready to return. It starts with being able to own our own brokenness, not boast in it, but able to forgive and be forgiven, to be the light that shines in the darkness and not desire to just be a part of the darkness. These verses aren't saying that the Gentiles or their way of life is dumb or they aren't smart or that their life isn't appealing. Friends, Paul was educated. He was aware of their thinking. He wrote like them, was familiar with their philosophy, their way of life. But he calls it darkened and futile because they fall short of true wisdom. They're capable of mighty intellectual achievements and super deep thoughts. No one doubts that. I mean, look at the world we live in and the technology and the reason that we have. But it falls short because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's darkened and futile because they are alienated from God and His way of life. They don't desire the things of God or the truth. They desire something else. They have become hardened, he says, calloused to the way of God and instead have created their own tr truth 
to fit their own ways. He writes something very interesting and says they have lost all sensitivity. Meaning they don't care about anything but themselves. Lost the pursuit of love, of caring for others, have embraced the anthropocentric view of life. Meaning the life that humanity is the center of existence, whatever the cost to everything around it. And taking it one step further to today where the self is the center of life. And I don't know how that thinking begins, how appealing it is. It's probably too subtle really to ever know, but you remember that at the beginning we would, we would cry and we would shout and get what is needed because we couldn't take care of ourselves we would experience and witness someone loving us and sacrificing themselves for us. You remember when you were first taught to share as a part of life, to partake in that, to, to give. I do it with my daughter. She eats a little nugget, I eat two nuggets. She eats a nugget, I eat three nuggets. It's fantastic. But when did we, who had received everything that we needed to survive in the beginning, didn't take that same love and attention we were given and pursue doing that. Instead, we liked it so much, we wanted to stay at the center. And sharing just becomes something that we do when it suits us. Losing all sensitivity, we become addicted to pursuing a life of sensuality. Getting what we want when we want it, regardless of what it does to the world or what the working-like environment is for the one who has to make it as long as it gets here cheaper and faster? What does it matter what it does to me if it tastes good and makes my life more enjoyable? Friends, we all are guilty of this, of losing our sensitivity in pursuit of sensuality. So these verses hit us with more than just some kind of new thought, but they should stop us in whatever direction we were going and turn. For that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And I want to take a moment here today. Never really done this before. I've done it in a classroom, never done it in a sermon. The way of life. You know, I want to go Mandalorian on you. Where, where are you at, Patrick? There he is. I want a Mandalorian with you right now. I really do. We can't because we're in church. I'll ask you instead this. What would you say is the way of this church? What would you say is the way of this church? And if you do say Jesus, you got to explain what that means. Now, I want you to tell the person sitting next to you or someone that you feel comfortable what you yourself think the way of this church is. Now, I had a water here, but Stefan clearly borrowed it. And so I'm just going to sit here. And I'll listen to you all say, what is the way of this church? Tell your neighbor.
I don't have a timer, but it's nice that you're watching me. <laughs> yeah, I got asked this question, and I, it was like a Star-Lord moment. What do you want me to say, Jesus? When he gets asked who his master is. And uh, they're like, no, 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 what's the way? And I was like, well, I can tell you what we believe. And they're like, well, what does it matter what you believe if you're not walking in that way? And I was like, well, what I believe is supposed to influence my walk. Then they said, well, tell me, what is your walk? And since I have the microphone, I'll share with you what I've said. I said, I can speak to the way that I want to go as a church. We will be going all in with helping vulnerable children in our midst. We as a church will go in a way that looks to support these children, feed them, give them homes, give them the love and kindness that they need. And I told the person that I can promise you that I will not stop until each one of us, each one of us here is the body of Christ in St. John's, is a part of the ministry to support these vulnerable children and their families. Because that is what a church does. God sets the lonely in families and calls us to care for the widows and the orphans and the vulnerable. I don't know what God has put on your heart for the way. But it will be a way in love. That much I know when you're here at St. John's. It'll be a way rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. And friends, when it comes to supporting these children who need us, we will be answering this call, walking this way, you and me together. And it's going to be cool. Paul writes, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, putting off that old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness putting off the ways of self first and humankind as the center of existence and instead embracing the correct theocentric point of view of God in the center of life. To seek the will of God, to trust in Him completely, to fix our minds and focus not on ourselves, but on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. That is what we will think about. They tell us that whatever you focus your mind, your energy goes to whatever you think about, fixate on, then your hands and your energy are going to be directed to do. And I know this, that our Lord has made it clear what it takes to focus on His way. It doesn't take a class. It doesn't take a retreat. It says, Pick up your cross. So let us focus our mind, friends, to pick up our cross and follow His way, to deny ourselves, to have an attitude that chooses to die to self, meaning we give up the selfish pursuits and desire to seek the kingdom first, desire to serve rather than be served. You want to take that question about what is the way of this church one step further? Ask yourself tonight as you're meditating and thinking, what is the way of my family? Because our energy, our focus, our mind needs to be about bringing the mission of restorative hope of Jesus to the world. 
That is not a part-time thing that we learn like sharing or only something that we put in for a few hours or jog just one block and call it good. We lace up the shoes to give rather than get, to serve rather than reign, to love. I was taught that we are to die a little if we want to live a lot. Die to the way of looking out for number one, to live the abundant life of peace in Jesus. To change the mind and attitude. Put on the new self. That's the maturity that Paul talks about. At the time of him writing this in the Roman Greek culture, when a boy grew to manhood, there was this special ceremony that marked he had become something new. He took off his old clothes, the old toga, and put on something new. Exchanged the toga pretexta, I don't know how to say this, for the toga virilis. But what it meant was he was no longer under the control of his pedagogue. He was now considered old enough to act responsibly and look after himself. It was a big deal, big ceremony, special cakes and everything. Name added to the list of men's citizens. We who have been baptized into Christ have not figuratively but really put on Christ. That's what you get. You get water in the promise of Christ and a new walk, new power, new wonderful name put upon you with a mission and a purpose and a walk that comes alongside it. It's a real change that you and I have experienced in our baptism, regardless of being a child or at 94. It is a change. It is a new direction that we go when we leave. We don't veer back to it. We change. Paul writes it this way in verse 25. He says, you want to know what it looks like? It says, put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're members of one body. It doesn't function properly in this new walk if we lie to one another. It'd be like your hand grabbing a really hot plate, but your brain saying, that's cool, keep doing it. It would seriously burn you in case you didn't realize what was happening. There's no lying in this new walk of following Jesus. In your anger, he writes, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Interesting to see anger have a time limit here. But really what this is saying is don't store it up in your heart. Because when you store up that anger, you let it fester. The devil uses that, builds on that anger to turn you against your neighbor. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. This is not get a job, bum. This is the purpose of getting is to give. The purpose of getting is to give. It's about using your gifts for the benefit of others. The unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths has to be done away with. We speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We speak in a way that is seasoned with grace. We do not slander or speak with contempt. We build up. And we don't grieve the Spirit of God with whom we were sealed with for the day of redemption. And we could talk about this for a while, for there are many ways to grieve the Spirit. 
We can neglect the holiness that we have been given and grieve the Spirit. We can think in, in materialistic terms and grieve the Holy Spirit. We can fail to exalt Jesus and grieve the Holy Spirit. Fail to worship and grieve the Holy Spirit. Just keeps going. Get rid of the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the brawling, the slander. Get rid of everything that would refuse reconciliation. Be kind and compassionate to one another, it says. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. The call to walk in love the call to be with one another, the call to forgive are not things we hope come along the way of the walk, are the way of walking with Jesus. We follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in that way just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love this. Follow God's example. Because God holds back his anger a long time. He bears with us for a long time. God reaches out to sinners and attempts reconciliation with sinners. God is the one who makes the first move in forgiveness. God forgives knowing that we will sin again, probably in the same exact way. God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious that he grants adoption. God does not put a probationary period on his forgiveness. Nor does he say you get forgiven as long as you keep doing this. But he loves, adopts, honors, and even associates with those who wronged him. In many ways, God trusts in us, believes in us, and invites in us to work with him. to also be the light of the world. And one last thing, as I call the band up as they get ready to play after we share our faith together. We're called to put on Christ, walk in his way. Paul writes about what to put on in so many other places that are so good. There's like Colossians, you know, there's, you know, close yourselves with love, compassion, kindness, gentleness, all that. There's the the armor of God that you can close yourself in. There's always baptism, right? We put on. But Christ was stripped bare. Christ bore his own cross. Christ took his own walk up a hill where he was crucified. Who in love for us, put on our sins, our brokenness, our failures, our malice, everything that we confessed as we sang Waymaker. And in his resurrection, Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, made a new way, doing away with the old self and bringing new life, the life that we have the life that we as dearly loved children walk together as one body, a 
and one people. This chapter is profound. Keep reading it. Keep marking it up. Keep finding something new. Because this is who we are. Dearly loved children who walk in love.